letter of Jude. I'll read those verses once more. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may grace, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the letter of Jude may not be the most well-known letter that we have in the Bible. And as we read it this afternoon, you notice there are many references to things that happened in the Old Testament, Balaam, Korah, but also there are things mentioned that we don't even find anything about in the Old Testament, the battle between Michael and the devil and his prophecy of Enoch. It's helpful, though, that Jude himself indicates why he wrote this letter. That is also the focus of our sermon this afternoon. We find this in verse 3. He says, "I, I found it necessary to write to you and why? To contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So that is the focus of this letter, and that is then also the calling that comes to us. And so I proclaim to you God's word this afternoon, also under that theme, that the Lord calls us to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to us. And as we look at this passage, the first question that we want to look at is who calls us? When you deal with a call, and a call means you are called upon to do something, then it, of course, depends who is calling you as to how serious you take this. Well, who calls us? You could say, well, that is Jude, because he identifies himself as the author, the human author of this letter, Jude. And he says of himself that he's a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. James. And James was so well known that he doesn't need any further indication here. He was well known in the churches. He's not the Apostle James, but this is the James who also wrote a letter, also find in the Bible, the letter of James. And he is the son of Joseph and Mary, and therefore a half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that would mean then also Jude is a son of Joseph and Mary. They had about four sons besides the Lord Jesus. And we don't even know how many daughters and that he also is then a half-brother 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not an apostle. He is a servant. And that's how he describes himself. Because in a way, when we ask the question, who calls us? Then you can say it is Jude. But Jude is not calling because he wants to do this himself and on his own. But he calls himself a servant or slave of Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? That's how he speaks about his oldest brother, his half-brother. I am a servant or slave of Jesus Christ. He doesn't take advantage of the blood tie that is there, having grown up with his older brother. Now he emphasizes the authority of his brother, our Lord Jesus Christ. Servant of Jesus Christ. Jude, just like all the rest of his family, and like all of us, he too has to believe in Jesus as the Christ, serve him and obey him. So, who calls us? Jude, Jude as a servant of Jesus Christ. And that means, if he's a servant, that the Lord is using Jude to call us. So you can say, the call comes from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. King of kings, the Lord of lords, our master. So this is not something you can just regard as Jude's opinion or someone's opinion. You're dealing here with a call coming from Jesus Christ himself. And that brings us to the second question. Who are being called? And you see that in the second part of verse 1, to those who are called, beloved in Christ the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So Jude says three things about those to whom he's writing this letter. The first one, he says they are called. And here, this calling means that the gospel has powerfully come into their lives so that they listened to it, so that they submitted to it, so that they became obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what it means here. Called. The gospel now governs them. They have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Called out of this world. To belong to God. And then added to that is that they are beloved in God the Father. And with that Jude is indicating that the, the reason why you were called out of this world. Is because the Father has surrounded you with his love. You are the object of his love. In calling them effectively. The Father has shown how much he loves them. And as they live in this world, and as you notice from reading this letter, they're not living in very easy circumstances. The things that they have to deal with, it's ungodly, speaks about, and so on. But living in such a world, they may know, they must know, that they are surrounded by the love of God the Father. That is what you need to know as well. As Christ comes to us in this letter and he calls you and he says, I've made you my own. You belong to me. And in this world that is uncertain, that is dark, that is ungodly, you have to know 
that you are surrounded by my love. That is the blessing with which you will go home also this afternoon. The love of God the Father. And that means if all this is you go into this week with my love surrounding you, carrying you, providing for you. And why does the Father do that? And that is the third element there in verse 1b. It is so that we are kept for Jesus Christ. That means Father watches over us in his love and he has set us apart for himself so that we may serve Jesus Christ, the Lord. The Father seeks the glory of the Son. And he brings the word into our lives and he makes us to come to respond to it so that we, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We obey him. We believe in him. So who are called? It is those in whom the gospel is at work because of the love of the Father in order that we may serve our Savior. Isn't that a beautiful description? Of the church. Who are we. In this world. Called. Loved in God the Father. Kept for Jesus Christ. For an exalted position. Now. There's no specific church mentioned here. When you ask the question. To whom is this directed. It doesn't say. As in other letters. To the church in Rome. Or in Ephesus. It's more general. But that means that there's something beautiful about this in that as we all go through this world, we may know that we are called by him because of his love and for the service to Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, what do we need? Verse 2, mercy, peace, love multiplied to us. It has to grow, it has to continue, it has to increase. The words of verse 2, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you, is not just a wish, it's a proclamation. Here the Lord says, through his servant Jude, my mercy, my peace, my love, it will be multiplied in you, so that you who are called and loved may serve me. And brothers and sisters, that is the reality in which we also may function, live as church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then, the tone of the letter changes after these first two verses, although it still speaks in verse 3 about beloved, and it takes up what just has been said in verse 1 and 2. But then it goes on to warn, and it speaks about contending for the faith. And the word contend has in it the element of battle, struggle, dealing with opposition. So from peace and love and mercy multiplied to you, suddenly we come to Battle and a call to battle. It seems like a contradiction, but it is not. 
exactly because this mercy, peace, and love are so precious to be loved in God the Father and kept for the Lord Jesus Christ is so important that we now are called to defend this. We're called to protect this. If something is very dear to you, you want to defend it. And that brings us to our third question, what is the call? And we read that in verse 3, where he says that he wanted to write to them about the common salvation. That means what we have in common in the saving work of our Lord. He says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I found it necessary. So there is a necessity here to write to you and to do so appealingly. That means it's very important. There's a bit of a discussion here whether Jude was writing a letter and then because something came to his mind or somebody brought it to his attention, he put that letter aside and he started writing a different letter, the one that we have. There are others who say, no, it is still the same letter that he started initially, but now it becomes more focused on this, whatever the case, we don't know. But certainly he does say that he had to change something, whether it is a letter or focus. The change was necessary, and it was necessary because he had to write to them appealingly and to appeal to them to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. As I said already, to contend means to battle, to, to defend, you can see it too, to fight for. And what do they have to contend for? The faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What is that? Isn't faith something that is in my heart? How can faith be delivered to the saints? Can I give faith to somebody else? Well, notice that it has here the definite article to contend for the faith that once for all was delivered to the saints. The faith. And in the Bible, that means that you're dealing here with the contents of the faith, what you believe. The articles. After the sermon, we will sing the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, I believe in God the Son, I believe in God the Holy Spirit, and all the articles. That is the faith. That is the total sum of all the promises of God that we believe. So when it speaks to you about the faith, then it speaks about what we believe. The specific articles. That God is the creator. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became man. That he suffered, that he died, that he rose. That he will come again. That the Spirit is the one who gives life. That he is also the one who will work in us. We'll sing it. Now, that faith was once for all 
delivered, given to, handed over to the saints. And the saints that are we, the believers. Once for all, that means it is not something that keeps changing, so that one generation can say this is what the faith is, and the next generation says, no, we've changed our opinion, it is something else. Once for all, it does not change, because God's truth does not change. What the scripture teaches us, the truth, it doesn't change. And it is not just an opinion of some people. It is the faith that once for all was delivered to the saints. And notice that Jude says it was delivered. He is not one of the apostles. He also had to live from what was given to him. Now that has to be defended. So the call is that what has been given to us and what we have in our creeds, in what we believe, in the truth of the scriptures, that has to be defended. We have to contend for it. And that means struggle because there is opposition. And that made it necessary because there was opposition. And that's our fourth question. So what is our call to contend for the faith? And why was this so necessary? Verse 4. Verse 4 gives the reason. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people. And then he says they pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So there you have the reason why Jude found it necessary to write appealing. Or you can say, there you have the reason why the Lord himself calls us to contend for the faith. Certain people have crept in. He doesn't mention them by name. But it does sound somewhat scary, doesn't it? Crept in unnoticed, just like a a burglar who in the middle of the night is able to somehow crawl in through a window, unnoticed. And so so here too, he says, uh, some people have come into the congregation, into the fellowship of believers, they've weaseled their way into it, unnoticed. That means they received no opposition there was no one who said, wait a moment, you know what these people stand for? They didn't see the true nature of these people. And so they gained a position. They crept in unnoticed. And why is that so serious? Well, because of what they stand for. And Jude gives already here a description of this, and and he works it out later on in this letter in in quite some detail when he describes who they are and what they do. But already here, he says three things about them. Because these people are ungodly. Ungodly. That means they have no respect for the holiness of God. 
That God is the awesome God. That God is the one who is above all. And to be feared and honored. They belittle it. They do not reflect that. They have no respect. And they show that in the way they live. They do what they want. And, and Jude describes them and gives them he says they're like wild waves of the sea, casting up foam of their own shame, wandering stars, and so on. They do what they want. And they cover it up. They cover it up by saying, well, we are redeemed by Jesus Christ. We can do what we want to do. It says they pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. So we can do whatever we want to do because we have been redeemed. They pervert the grace of God into sensuality, sexual immorality. But they do it under the cover of grace. And, and, and if you don't know better, you think it's okay. They went in unnoticed because they covered themselves with that grace. But underneath that grace, there was ungodly lives. And there was the third designation is that they deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So they're ungodly, they cover it up with the grace, but in the meantime they live sensual lives, immoral lives, and then they deny the only Master. These three things, of course, all connect together. Because what is it that the Lord demands of us? When you love Him, you want to keep His commandments. And because he is holy, we have to be holy. So in living these ungodly lives, they deny the only master. They deny his authority. Why should I obey Jesus Christ and do what he tells me to do? I could do my own things. That's why in the letter too, later on, it speaks about authority. The authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. It's quite a description, isn't it? Of who these people are. And some have tried to indicate this must be that kind of a heresy. or, But it's not mentioned here. So we do not need to restrict it either to a certain heresy. What we can say is that under the guise of being redeemed by Jesus Christ, they live ungodly lives propagate it, promote it, rebellious lives, no respect for the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jude says, that kind of an attitude is under the judgment of God. The church may not have noticed this, but God notices this. And so in the beginning of verse 4, it says certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. People who live like this, they live under the condemnation of God. And the rest of the letter, or the, section, the next part of the letter, will show how real this condemnation and this judgment is. So that brings us to our last question. 
We've seen who is calling us. We've seen who we are. We've seen what the call is. We've seen why it is important. What does the Lord require of us? What does the Lord ask us to do? And, and then I think that when you, when you look at the description of these people who had crept in, then I think you also notice that it is a description that would fit also the world in which we live. Ungodly, denying the authority of Jesus Christ, sometimes covering it up with religious arguments, indulging in sensuality. What are we to do then? How are we to live in such a world? What is the call of the Lord to his church, loved by the Father, kept for him? Well, he says, you have to contend for the faith. The faith that was once for all delivered to you. And so, brothers and sisters, living in a world filled with ungodliness and rebellion and disregard for the authority of God and attacks on the truth of God, this is all the more important for us. And the Lord comes to us through his word. And he says, I want you to contend for the faith once for all delivered to you. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, that would mean that in the first place we know what was delivered to us. Living in the world in which we are, just having a general sense of what was delivered to us will not cut it. Then you will not be able to discern and to be able to detect these kind of people who have these kind of arguments. What is required of us is also that we know the faith, the articles of the faith, that we have to study them, that we have to hold on to them. What is Catholic and undoubted and Christian, as we have summed it up in our creeds and confessions. And how thankful we can be that we have indeed been given these documents that sum it up, hand it over to us. Well, these creeds and confessions are not just some ancient documents of previous generations, interesting museum pieces to be studied by those who have an interest in this or see it as a hobby. But what our text tells us is that what has been handed over to us, has been delivered to us, we need it in order to contend. We need it for the battle. It's essential in the world in which we live. And what we have in these confessions, we need it. It's essential in order to have mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to us so that the church can continue in the mercy, the peace, and the love of God. So we are called to defend that. And that means to know it, to study it, to work with it. And in connection with this, I, I like to mention two 
examples in which we do this. The first involves our young people. And that is catechism teaching. All these years you go to catechism class and you have to memorize Lord's Days. Why do we do that? What is the motivation? Well, the motivation you find in our text. Because what you have to learn is how to stand firm in a world filled with deception and ungodliness and sensuality and be able to stand firm and say, but this is right and that is wrong. And that's why you have to memorize it. And yes, there's a lot of repetition in catechism teaching. Because in order to be trained for this task, there has to be that repetition. But we do this so that you are able to think, to understand, to be equipped for the battle ahead. So be thankful for this instruction and that we have the freedom to do this. And pray for a blessing over this as the minister teaches the youth so that indeed they are equipped and know what is right, what is wrong, what is truth and what is false. The other example is the catechism preaching. The teaching and the preaching, they indeed go hand in hand. We've come to Lord's Day 52 last, last week. We hope to start with Lord's Day 1 next week. Beautiful Lord's Day. One is my only comfort in life and death. But how many times have you gone through the catechism already? And for ministers, they keep on preaching on it and preach on it. Why do we do that? It's a very old tradition. The churches saw how important this is. That not only we have preaching on other parts of the Bible and and, and we have about the Psalms or about Genesis, but also what we confess in the Catechism. And the importance of it is to equip the congregation on an ongoing basis for that battle, to be able to contend for the faith. So it's not only that you understand it, it's not only that you believe it, it's not only that you hold it out, it's also defending it. And the catechism preaching has been a wonderful gift of God to equip the church to do this. And yes, also there, you will find repetition. You may have a catechism sermon and you say, well, I didn't hear too many new things in this sermon. And that's fine. Because part of training is also making sure you're ready. You think of an army and soldiers who are equipped for battle. A lot of time before the battle, all they do is the same exercises time and again. So it becomes very part of their thinking. And make sure that all that they have to use is in good condition. And so also our churches, by having this custom and this rule in the church order to to have this preaching equips you on an ongoing basis. And may the Lord bless also that preaching and equip us 
for this task. And let us beyond it and behind it and around it see why we do this. Because Christ wants us to contend for the faith. And that is because we are called, we are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. And he loves you so much that he says, I want you to be able to contend for it. I bought you with my blood. I don't want you to be taken in by false teaching, by those who under the guise of being okay bring in what contradicts what I teach, what I have given to you. And so he comes to us. Contend for the faith, he says, and do so with a free and a good conscience. Amen.